This podcast is brought to you by DMX, made by the largest global e-discovery software and service provider, Epic. DMX delivers e-discovery business intelligence in North America, Europe, and Asia, and is powered by Microsoft. To learn more about how you can use DMX on your next e-discovery project, go to epicsystems.com slash DMX. This episode is also sponsored by Bloomberg Law, an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need. To request a trial, go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law. I'm Josh Block. Welcome to Big Law Business. This podcast focuses on the business of law, how the largest corporate law departments and their law firms do business. We are recording today's podcast on August 30th. Last week, Wells Fargo Private Bank's legal specialty group released some of the findings from a survey of law firms about financial measures. Approximately 135 law firms participated in the survey. 60 of those firms were in the AmLaw 100, the top grossing law firms in the U.S. Joining me on the podcast is Joe Mendola. Senior Director of Sales with the Legal Specialty Group at Wells Fargo. Joe, before we get into the numbers, can you tell me about how you collect information from the law firms? What's the process? We've been collecting information. Uh, we've been doing surveys uh, for the last seven years. Uh, we do three surveys during the course of the year, an annual survey and two mid-year survey, well, mid-year and a nine-month survey. So the uh, survey that was released last week was our mid-year survey uh, where we did have 135 firms participating. Uh, firms, uh, we, firms, uh, provide their own information directly. Uh, we have a portal that they input their numbers to, and then we gather up the information from, from the portal. Uh, both clients and prospective clients participate in this survey. Do you have a sense of the breakdown, or can you give us a sense of clients to non-clients? Um, I would say probably 60-40. And with the law firm self-reporting, what makes you confident that the information is accurate? Is there any verification of numbers? Well, we, you know, we're we're obviously very familiar with financial statements from law firms. Uh, we've been doing this certainly for, with your clients for a while yeah. for for our clients. But you know, you, you you get a sense as to what's a correct number or may not may not be a correct number. We scrub all the information before we actually finalize the data points. So if we see uh, a data point that appears to be an outlier for some particular reason, we will you know contact the firm and, and, and go through what the reasons are. And if, it, if for some reason we, don't, we think it's inaccurate, uh, we'll eliminate from the population uh, of, of survey participants. You release the top level findings, but you don't obviously don't tell us everything. So what sort of confidentiality do you offer the participants? We compile the numbers, Josh. So um, our overall numbers, some of the overall statistics that I'll cite today are based on a compilation of 135 participants. We do not disclose any individual firms out of, out of that grouping. Then we break out into smaller, some regional information, AMLR 50, AMLR 100, AMLR second 100. But again, there's enough participation where confidentiality is is protected. Are there any other specifics you can tell us about the participants? That is, you can't tell us specific firms. You, you gave us sort of a, an idea of how many are in the AMLA 100. Can you break it down anymore? Is there a specific how many are in the AMLA 50? My guess would be 30 to 40 of the AMLA 50 would be in there, a high percentage of the AMLA 50. So tell us about the survey findings. What did you find out about how law firms are doing this year? 
Well, I, you know, I, I have to start off with we were very, very pleasantly surprised with our findings for our mid-year numbers. Um, during the course of presenting our annual surveys to firms throughout the country, um, you know, part of the dialogue is, well, how is 2017 working out? And uh, the, the feeling that I had uh, going into gathering the mid-year numbers was that it was a lot of the same old, same old, that we were going to hear stagnant demand, revenue was growing basically because of a rate increases. Um, you know, realization was flat to down. Um, and, you know, we were very ple pleasantly surprised by the numbers. So for the average of the 135 firms, we saw revenue growth at 5.6% on a year-over-year -year basis. Our, our information is percentage growth over the comparable period in the prior year. Um, the other nice finding was that uh, when we looked at the overall numbers, the growth in expenses was controlled to a, to a level that was below the growth in revenue. So in fact, you, you, you saw for this period of time growth in net margins. And the net margins for law firms have generally always been a healthy levels. I mean, we, you know, it really, uh, depending on what leverage is, it can be 35% to 50% in many cases. Uh, so we saw a positive movement in, in the margin, which was encouraging for the, for the, what we're going to see for the full year. And when you break out the firms sort of where they fall in the AMLA 100, which firms had the greatest increases, which had the smallest? Um, th this is a little bit of the same old, same old. So, uh, no surprise, the larger firms had the greater increases. Uh, so the larger firms, the Amlor 50, for example, uh, top line revenue grew 7% on a year-over-year -year basis. Um, you know, demand was a, a greater for the for the larger firms, the Amlor 50. Uh, and then we also do an Amlor, like, we break out a group by what we refer to as a high-profit group, uh, firms that have profit per equity partner in excess of $2 million. And, and that was also a high-performing group. What are the reasons for the lower performance at the lower grossing firms? What's well, um, you know, the the Amlor second 100, uh, this has been a, a somewhat of a challenging time uh, post-economic downturn. Um, it, it, demand was down for the uh, for the Amlor second 100. It was down 1.5%, whereas every other sector was positive. Uh, this would be the second year in a row that they've experienced that. Um, you know, answer your question, what can they do? I You know, I want to preface it with there's a lot of really good firms in the Amlor second 100. Uh, we also do an analysis of firms that have grown revenue by more than 5% and firms where revenues have declined by more than 5%. And for the uh, for the Amlor second 100, 34% of the participants uh, saw revenue growth in excess of 5% and 14% saw revenue decline by more than 5%. So, you know, the, the, the uh, a third of the firms did show nice positive growth on a year-over-year -year basis. Uh, but there are some firms that are struggling uh, creating demand. Um, and, you know, that that has been the case for a while. And uh, so as a result, um, you know, no surprise, we're in a consolidating industry and we would expect that that'll continue going into future years. With the top grossing firms, part of the reason was they're raising their rates, right? That's correct. Yes. Um, so the Amlor 50 uh, saw uh, rate increases of 4.8%. Uh, again, mid-year over mid-year. Um, and and they're really, um, and, and I was really happy to see this, um, And but I, I was also uh, very surprised. Uh, not only did rates, this is on a standard rate basis, standard rates up 4.8%, but firms really suffered little 
uh, to moderate decline in realization. Um, and that's something that is a little bit different than what we've seen in prior years. So realization, although down significantly again from the 2010 and prior years, uh, it, it's, it seems to be holding pretty firm. I'm wondering more about that realization rate. Do you think it has to do with that these are the top firms? Was it litigation? Why didn't realization go down? And it sounds like realization particularly didn't go down with the top firms. Realization actually held across the board, Josh. It was just not the Amlor 50 firms. Uh, It was the 100 and even the second 100 realization held up pretty well. With the raising of the rates in the survey, do you have, do you know the rates? You said standard rates. Can you explain that? Yeah. uh, We do not go out to firms and ask them for specific rates by class years or specific uh, attorney classes. We calculate our rates for purposes of our survey. So the way we do that is we look at the dollar value of billable hours logged by each of the timekeeper categories and divide it by the number of billable hours. So it is truly a calculated rate. It's not an exacting rate, but certainly from a trend perspective, uh, it, it, you know, it, 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 it's correct. With this push that a lot of corporate law departments have are having to alternative fee arrangements, do you get that in the survey, how that's affecting these firms? Well, we, we asked for that information in our annual survey, Josh. So what we've concluded uh, from our annual survey, alternative fees for law firms, uh, well, for the firms that participated in our survey, have averaged in the kind of 12 to 15% range. That's held pretty firm over over the last three years. We I think there's more discussion about alternative rates than what actually happens in reality in the industry. Is it happening more at the lower end with the lower tier firms? I I think it is. And I think they have more flexibility because one of the positive uh, attributes of the AMLO Second uh, second 100 firms uh, is that their cost basis is somewhat lower. So they have a little bit more flexibility in terms of uh, their rates overall. Tell me about utilization numbers. Actually, you should back up and tell me what utilization means and then what the numbers were and what that might indicate. Okay. Um, Utilization uh, is... uh, utilization or productivity. So it's a number of hours per timekeeper. Um, so we annualize at mid-year what the number of hours for the full year would be for each of the participants and, and the groups that we have in our in our survey. So for example, for the all the firms, the average utilization uh, for 2017 mid-year, again annualized, was 1630. From a historical perspective, that's that's a pretty low number. Uh, historically, you know, you would see firms across the industry averaging anywhere from 1,800 to 2,000 hours. Uh, but it seems like, you know, that that has changed permanently, Josh. Um, where We see very few firms uh, and associates in those firms uh, producing 1,900 to 2,000 hours today. What does that mean going forward? You know, with, with less utilization and even among partners, is that the indicator that something is wrong? Well, I, you know, I, I, and, and this is purely speculative on my part, but I, I think what is, has occurred in the industry, and this may be very much a permanent change, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of demand in the industry has gone in-house. Uh, there's also third-party providers that are doing much of the commoditized type of work that was going out to uh, going out to the legal industry in years gone by. So that work, it, I, I feel that work may be permanently gone from the industry. Uh, so that's why demand has not demand has generally been stagnant in the industry. But what has happened is clients have depended on big law for big matters. Um, no, you know, no secret. That's why the the top law firms are out 
underperforming the lower uh, law firms, you have somewhat of a bifurcation going on. If you think of a big M&A matter going on, you really need uh, firms that can operate in a, a lot of jurisdictions that have uh, depth in, in talent, uh, depth in people that can handle big matters. Um, so that type of work, and that's the high value work, is going to the larger firms, the more profitable firms that have that expertise. So I wonder if you have a thought moving forward, if this just keeps continuing, as we keep hearing, and we've been hearing about it for years now, you know, sure. the richer getting richer and the others. And what we're seeing really is we're seeing mergers and we're seeing some firms disappear that sure. have been here. Do you just see that continuing or is there, if you look down five, 10 years, how do you see this playing out? I, I, I certainly five years, I think the consolidation will continue. Um, I, I would I would fully expect that. Uh, 10 years from now, you know, I think there's another factor that comes into the equation. Um, how does technology impact the, the business of law? Uh, what, how does that impact staffing? Uh, artificial intelligence is certainly a lot of dialogue around that today. Um, and, and I would expect that's going to become an important component of the equation is going forward for law firms. How about your headcount numbers? Similar trend line there, I think? Well, you know, another, uh, here's a trend that we have observed and it's really been over the last two years. Um, and it's, it's a change from where things went for the immediate years after the economic downturn. So uh, 2011, 2012, firms really were, de- human leverage were deleveraging quite a bit. Uh, so we saw our human leverage drop down uh, significantly from where it had been pre-2010. Well, it seems to be that, that the, the trend is going back to more leverage. Uh, equity partner headcount on a net basis has essentially remained flat. Um, I think for our overall number, it was down 0.2%. So, you know, flat uh, for mid-year. This is kind of the second year in a row where we've made that observation, maybe even the third year in a row. But firms are continuing to grow total attorneys. So that, you know, that translates into higher levels of leverage, uh, salaried attorneys to equity partners in the industry. So I think that's something that's going on in the industry today. I think clients are are looking for that. They're, they're, you know, they, they are looking for more associate time in their matters versus uh, versus equity partner hours. And it's also a factor of what's going on with, uh, uh, you know, headcount in, in law firms. Baby boomers are, are retiring in, in droves now. So, uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily that all firms don't want to grow their equity partner headcount, but they, they are encountering a lot of retirements. I had seen reports that they were hesitant to retire, that there wasn't enough retirement. It depends on what sector of the uh, the industry you sit in. Um, at many of the larger, um, uh, high, higher profit firms, um, I think they are retiring on a, on a fairly regular basis. Uh, I think there are, you know, maybe firms where their perform, you know, the performance has kind of under underperformed versus the industry. Um, income has not been as as healthy as it has been at the upper end. For some firms are staying on, but you know, there are a lot of attorneys that just love what they do, um, and and economics does not come into the factor. And I think that's that's also part of it. Law firm expenses were up. That was anticipated because of the associate salary raise that Cravath triggered last summer. Was there anything besides salaries that contributed to the rise in expenses? Well, general expenses were up in the 3% plus range, um, again, varying by, uh, you know, what sector of the uh, of the, of the the legal industry you sit in. Uh, but what, it was- prim- What makes up general expenses? General expenses, things Rent like- and- uh, Yeah, um, occupancy, malpractice insurance, uh, benefits, marketing, uh, Thank you. 
Uh, but, you know, I, again, I'm pleasantly surprised, even when you factor in the fact that associate salary increases were in the numbers, that the rate of growth of expenses was below the rate of growth of revenue. Um, so that's, you know, when, when you look at it that way, you see margins increasing. When Cravath raised the base salary of associates last year, m- many firms followed, many f- more firms than people thought probably should. There was some concern about how that might affect particularly the lower tier law firms that did that. Are you seeing any? Well, I think many of the low, low, uh, lower, let's say the MLA second 100 yes. firms did not follow suit. Some some adjusted uh, associate salaries, but did not necessarily go up to the, the numbers that we saw Cravath and, and their peers go up to. So you didn't see firms raising their associate salary base that couldn't handle it? I think, you know, there, there was some degree of pain uh, for some firms. I noticed that Washington, D.C. firms performed much better than any other region. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, we saw uh, revenue growth in the uh, Washington, C, uh, D.C. region up uh, up over 9%. I think there were we had 12 firms that participated from that region. Um, so, you know, and that was significantly more than what we saw in any other region. I think the next closest region was around 7%. Speculating why, um, I, I, I would assume there's a, a fair amount of regulatory work that's getting getting done in the, in the D.C. region. Um, of course, antitrust work, uh, there's quite a bit of that that gets done there. So, um, you know, a, a nice performance by that region. And do you have a biggest overall surprise? My biggest surprise was uh, the fact that firms were able to hold um, hold realization generally flat. Um, that was really very, very much a surprise for me. I knew that there were, uh, across the industry, uh, firms were pushing rates fairly aggressively from a historical perspective, from a recent historical perspective. Um, I, I think the average rates for all the firms participating in our survey was up 4.4%. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I did expect slippage in, in realization, uh, and re- that really didn't occur to any large extent. Are there any specific recommendations you can make? I guess it depends on the sector you're in, but like what what do you, the firms that didn't do as well, can, is there anything you can say specifically that they should be doing or shouldn't be doing? Well, I, I've always been a big proponent of, uh, I, I, think, I think brand drives results. I, I think, you know, brand e- equates to uh, revenue. Um, so I, I, you know, I I am a proponent of figuring out, firms figuring out what they're, they're best at, where they could come out top of marketing uh, in, in, and select, I don't know, five practice uh, areas that that you you think you can be you know top five in and focus in on that and 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 drive uh, you know drive your demand by expertise I, I think that's the secret of going forward uh, for all firms is there anything else you asked that we would be surprised to find out I mean we saw we look at inventory at the mid-year period of time and that's important and, and we define inventory as total accounts receivable plus work and process or whip um, so what you have an in inventory in mid-year translates into revenue into the second half of the year, so it's a good indicator of how the full year will uh, w- will develop. And we I saw. Want to, I want to make sure I understand. That's the bills that have not been collected. Is that right? Bills that have been sent out, but as well as bills that have not been sent out. So the work in process that's that's yet to be built. Um, and the average growth in inventory, uh, based on our survey numbers, was four point four percent. That's a healthy level of inventory build, particularly since uh, firms have gotten much better in terms of their cash collection cycles and turning their inventory over. Um, so that makes me optimistic for the second half of the year. The other thing, uh, when you look at the second half of the year and the full year results for 2017, Josh, is that firms' revenue tends to be back 
bookended uh, for the legal industry. Most firms are on a cash basis of accounting. Um, so if, if mid-year numbers are up 5.6% uh, and, and revenue tends to be back-ended and, and expenses maybe you know flatlined over the remainder of the year, that should translate into healthy levels of profits for the equity partners. That's all for this episode. For more on the business of law, check out biglawbusiness.com where you can find Gabe Friedman's article about the survey. If you'd like to contact us, our email is biglawbusiness at bna.com. Follow Big Law Business on Twitter at biglawbiz. Follow me at joshblocknyc. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with a new episode. Subscribe on iTunes so that you don't miss it. This podcast is brought to you by DMX, made by the largest global e-discovery software and service provider, Epic. DMX delivers e-discovery business intelligence in North America, Europe, and Asia, and is powered by Microsoft. To learn more about how you can use DMX on your next e-discovery project, go to epicsystems.com DMX. This episode is also sponsored by Bloomberg Law, an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need to request a trial, go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law.